0: Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghost Ghost Ghostthropology presents discussion of ghost stories and beliefs, and how we share ghost folklore, and importantly, how belief in the supernatural reflects who we are. While I don't know when, or where, or how you are listening, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 46, Themes of the Podcast, Part 1. For those who haven't listened to Ghost Ghostthropology before, this may not be the best episode to start with. In this episode, I'm not discussing a specific ghost story nor speaking with a guest, but rather gathering some of the threads from the stories that have been covered and knitting them together to see what we've learned so far. This is the first in what will be an intermittent series of episodes covering this. Don't worry, we will have plenty of the usual types of episodes in between, but finding connections between the different stories is a large part of what motivates me. I hope you will indulge me in presenting an episode that amounts to an essay, but I have covered a lot of ghost stories and other spooky tales in this podcast, and I think it will be interesting at this point to discuss some of the themes that have emerged in the analysis of various stories and my discussions with guests. These are recurring themes that have been brought up on the podcast, although some are better developed in the show than others at this point. Mm. before we get into the themes, I want to address a question that is really quite important to the purpose of this podcast. A question that, on its face, seems simple, but is actually quite complex. What is a ghost story? For the purposes of this question, the question of belief is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if one wishes to simply dismiss them all as tall tales or if one is a believer. It's easy to lose sight of both why the stories are told and what they may mean. So regardless of whether or not any of them are true, what is a ghost story? Now, right off, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, obviously it's a story about a ghost. Okay, so what is a ghost? For most of us, it's the spirit of a dead person, but what does that actually mean? For example, nobody would question that a story in which we see a long dead individual appear and carry out some task that they did in life seemingly oblivious to the world as it is now around them, is a ghost story. But is that a spirit? We would all agree that it's a ghost story, but is it actually the spirit of a dead person? Depending on who you ask, you will get different answers. Some will say it's a spirit stuck in an eternal loop, possibly as a punishment. Some will say that there's no spirit and that nothing of the person remains except their image, rather like a video recording. So, right off, we're running into some complications. Similarly, what if things such as smells, sounds, or a sense of being touched that occur in predictable patterns but may not be directly responding to external stimuli? Are those spirits of the dead or something else? They are all considered ghostly phenomenon, but can they be said to be anything other than the recordings or impressions left behind? What of visions, sometimes interactive and sometimes not, of people still alive? Usually, these apparitions come either immediately before or at the moment of the person's death, so those could, perhaps, be seen as the soul leaving the body and might qualify as the spirits of the dead, or soon to be dead. But there are many cases where the person who appears in these apparitions is, and remains, alive for quite a long time after the apparition is seen. Are these ghosts? Now, if you go back to episode 25, where I speak to anthropologist Michelle Hanks, it is pretty clear that among the people who seriously invest in ghost investigations, there is a lot of ambiguity as to what exactly a ghost is and how they manifest. Similarly, sociologist William Force has made the point that ghost seems to be a category into which some people insert anything that they don't understand, as others may do with categories such as angels, demons, aliens, or even government conspiracies. So the ghost story can serve as an ill-defined holding space for any phenomenon that we don't otherwise know how to categorize. Most people would consider a poltergeist to be a ghost. The name even means noisy ghost. But a common element of poltergeist stories is the idea that the supernatural activity is the result of human psychological problems rather than that of the departed dead, although there are some notable exceptions to this. Again, something that most of us would consider ghostly is generally held by believers to be something other than the spirit of a deceased person. And to make matters more complicated, while the Bible is clear that angels are a different type of being from humans altogether, there is nonetheless a persistent folk belief in the US and Europe that good people become angels after they die. So are these post-human angels actually ghosts? We don't think of them that way, but it's a fair question. Similarly, demons, which most people would hold to be distinct from ghosts, are often said to be haunting locations in much the same way that ghosts do, and in fact can even be interacted with in a manner similar to ghosts, such as by using a Ouija board, engaging in wall tapping, and so on. So the question of what is a ghost gets blurrier the more you consider it. The common answer, the spirit of a dead person, leaves out many phenomena that most of us would group in with ghosts. What's more, the common notion of what constitutes a haunting clearly covers some categories that most people would claim are not ghosts. So, again, the answer to the question, what is a ghost, is not as straightforward as you might assume. For my purpose, I won't define a ghost exactly, but I will say that anything that falls in the general category of having to do simultaneously with death and the supernatural would qualify as ghostly, even if it doesn't quite qualify as a ghost. Let's go back to what constitutes a ghost story. This is much simpler now if we are talking about things that are ghostly as I defined the term, rather than specifically having to do with ghosts, which are harder to define. A ghost story is a class of paranormal story, usually folklore, that involves the ghostly. This would, by my definition, include the spirits of dead humans, but also other things having to do with death and the netherworld, such as demons, visions or sightings of people long since gone, and even deals with the devil. This would typically exclude things like cryptozoology and UFOs, but there are places where they overlap. For example, there is a trend in ufology that works off of the idea that UFOs are not aliens from another world, but spirits or demons. These such beliefs would clearly blend into the realm of the ghostly, Also, while most of the common contemporary lore regarding poltergeists, that they are not ghosts or spirits, but rather the psychic manifestations of stressed human beings, would not fall within this category of the ghostly. But I would include it simply because poltergeist stories have traditionally been a part of ghost beliefs. Many poltergeist elements overlap with things that are more clearly ghostly, most prominently including aspects of the popular spiritualism movement of the 19th and early 20th century, And poltergeist activities have also never been clearly proven to exist, so they remain in the realm of the legend or prank. So, yeah, poltergeists are getting grandfathered in amongst the ghost stories by me. That is my definition of a ghost story, imperfect as it is. It does allow us something to work with and decide what to include or exclude. With that being said, I would like to take a closer look at the themes that connect some of the stories that I have shared on the podcast, as well as themes that will come up in upcoming episodes. Keep in mind, the themes I discuss in this series of episodes are not mutually exclusive of each other. You can find them overlapping in quite a few spooky tales, but these seem to be distinct enough to warrant calling them out for discussion. Ghost stories as entertainment. The first theme I'd like to discuss is probably the most straightforward, but also in some ways very tricky. The vast majority of ghost stories are told or read for entertainment. Even when, as is often the case, there is something more to the story than mere entertainment, the fact is we still tend to enjoy ghost stories for the thrills they give us, and that is the motivating factor in sharing them. Even here, where I overanalyze them, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't get a visceral thrill from the ghost story itself. But even a statement as seemingly simple as we tell ghost stories because they're entertaining takes some unpacking. Why do we find them entertaining? Part of it is cultural context. Even those of us who do not believe in souls or spirits, much less that those spirits can return, are immersed in a culture in which there is some set of notions about the ghostly, even if, as previously discussed, there is no clear consensus on what actually constitutes a ghost. Among these notions is that if a spirit arrives, it has a strong motivation to do so. Sometimes these motivations are benign, such as protecting others from some harm. There are even numerous locations in the U.S. where it is believed that ghosts will appear to help someone. For example, a ubiquitous urban legend is of a school bus that became stuck on railroad tracks and was hit by a train, killing all of the children on board. The legend says that if you park your car on these tracks, and there are many such tracks across the United States, and then put your car in neutral, it will be moved off the tracks. How? Well, according to the myth, if you look at the bumper after the car has been moved, you will see children's handprints. The implication is that the ghosts of the children killed in the collision tried to save you. But even when the spirits seem to have our best interests at heart, As in the case of the phantom children moving you off of the train tracks, there's typically a sense of creepiness in the story. I think that what is happening here is that this seems to be a violation of norms and categories. There's a boundary being broken that doesn't fit in with how we order the world. This boundary-breaking incident, however benign, becomes uncanny or even the subject of abjection due to its violation. The dead and the living are not supposed to interact and it feels wrong and therefore unnerving when they do. Even when the ghost is trying to protect you, it can be frightening. Of course, this violation can be mitigated by other factors, such as when the ghost is viewed as something more akin to a guardian angel or a visit from a loved one. I've told my own family story about the ghost of my great-grandfather visiting, which everyone seems to find comforting. And historians David Finnecane and Alina Pirock. Both note that ghosts associated with the history of a home in Victorian England and late 19th and early 20th century Virginia, respectively, were often seen as signs that the family was welcome and belonged in the home. But such positive interactions with the ghostly are not necessarily the norm, and often being visited by a ghost is creepy even when the spirit is said to be benevolent. In other cases, the motivation or cause of the return is not necessarily bad news for the living but suggests something unnerving. Perhaps the ghost is of a person who died with unfinished business, and now they are trapped. An eternity of knowing that your goal is out of reach can be romanticized, such as the ghosts of soldiers who will always be on patrol at a place that they once protected, or the ghost of someone who was on their way to meet their lover when they died. But even in these romanticized cases, the idea of being permanently stuck in one place state or routine for the rest of eternity is a disturbing thought a hell without the fire and brimstone it's a fate that is frightening often seems fitting yet undeserved and is as fascinating as a horror film or novel a simultaneous there but for the grace of god go i story and a wow look at what happened to this unfortunate guy tale What's more, depending on the unfinished business in question, this type of story can help confirm our beliefs in certain concepts. For example, the idea that the person forever stuck on the track to meet their lover plays into ideas about there being only one true person for you. While you don't envy the ghost their fate, you may envy the connection that they found in life. And, of course... When there isn't something in their life that you envy, just a tragic end, as is the case with many vanishing hitchhiker tales, then it is all the more unnerving to hear of some poor soul stuck forever in a loop. Even ghosts that aren't stuck in a loop, but are instead confined to a location, unable to move on or even move freely, are not enviable. These spirits seem to be isolated, possibly even imprisoned. While perhaps not as bad as the ghosts that are stuck doing the same task over and over again, this is still a less-than-ideal afterlife, one that doesn't afford the freedoms of movement that most of us take for granted. Again, this suggests that even a pleasant location can become stifling or limiting over time, though in some cases there may be a bit more to this that would eliminate the implied suffering or isolation. For example, Dr. Perak notes that many of the Virginian ghost stories associated with colonial-era homes insist that the ghost has not moved on to the afterlife because the home is a heaven on earth, and therefore there is no need for a hereafter. While such stories seem to be typical of restored or rebuilt homes in the American South, much of our contemporary folklore portrays spirits as being stuck rather than staying on voluntarily. And then we get the stories of malignant hauntings, the ones that seem to be angry or otherwise bent on harming those of us who are still living. These stories share that eerie thrill of something not being right with tales of benign or benevolent hauntings, but have an added visceral thrill that comes from hearing about fear and violence. It's the same sort of scary rush that one gets from a horror movie you know that you were safe, which allows you to enjoy the ride instead of running in terror. And the claim that it's all actually true adds to that thrill. After all, it could happen to you, even though you know that it won't. And some ghost stories seem to have little going on other than entertainment value. As much as I tried to find something more in episode 30 on La Pasqualita, for example, I never found anything beyond a good, creepy story. However, a pretty large number of ghost stories though entertaining, do have more going on just below the surface. And in future episodes, we're going to investigate that a bit more. Ghost stories as functional tales. Like entertainment, this theme overlaps with the other themes quite a lot. So it is one that will be discussed in more depth as I produce episodes on the other themes. But I want to touch on it here. While some ghost stories really serve no greater purpose than giving listeners a thrill, many, and possibly most, do seem to serve a purpose beyond pure entertainment. Let's call these functional tales. The most obvious functional tales are those that serve as a warning, tales told with the intention that the listener will decide not to engage in dangerous behavior. Probably the ur-example of this is La Llorona, or The Crying Woman this ghost story will receive its own episode but for now i will provide a quick description for those not familiar there was a young widow with two young children who had fallen in love with a wealthy man however he did not wish to marry a woman who already had children so he refused to marry her the woman in a fit of despair took her children to a waterway and drowned them she returned to the man told him what she had done and announced that she was now ready for him to marry her. The man was, obviously, disturbed and upset, and ran from the woman. The woman, realizing what she had done, and full of guilt for the deaths of her children, ran back to the waterway and drowned herself. Now her ghost can be found near that waterway, which, of course, is the river, creek, wash, or canal nearest to where you live. Dressed in white, walking the banks, and crying out, ¿Dónde estás, mis niños? Where are my children? Any child unfortunate enough to be in the vicinity will be grabbed and drowned by La Llorona. The moral of the story? Stay away from waterways, kids. You could drown. Now, of course, there's a lot more to the story, and there is a history to it within the Spanish-speaking communities of the United States, so it's more than just a tale to scare kids away from unpredictable waterways. But it is, nonetheless... A story used for that purpose. It serves a function aside from being a creepy story to tell around the campfire. A warning about the immediate danger of being taken and killed by a ghost may be more effective, at least for some kids, than lectures about the unpredictable hydrology or the dangers of bodies of water. Aside from warnings, ghost stories can function to reinforce a particular worldview by attempting to point out the shortcomings of a competing worldview. Once again, Historian David Finnegan has written about the history of ghost beliefs and ghost lore in the 16th through 19th century in Europe. With the rise of Protestant Christianity and its rejection of Catholic concepts not based on strict readings of the Bible, such as the notion of purgatory, folklore began to circulate that reinforced these same ideas. Finicane has written that, in the 16th and 17th century, ghost stories from Catholic communities and regions would often tell of a visit from a soul who was in purgatory and could tell of their experiences there, thus proving the truth of Catholic dogma and the foolishness of Protestant rejection. Later, as non-Christian worldviews such as deism and occasionally atheism became common in the 18th century, both Catholics and Protestants seized on ghost stories as proof of the afterlife, and therefore proving that what they viewed as the narrow materialism of non-Judeo-Christian philosophies was clearly false. Ghost stories, in these cases, served as evidence of a worldview whose followers perceived it as being under attack by other worldviews. In essence, ghost stories were the 16th through 18th century equivalents of those obnoxious viral videos in which a netwit from one particular social or political camp allegedly destroys or owns or otherwise proves wrong someone from another social or political camp. And the ghost story usually contained just as much solid material as those videos. Another function of ghost stories is that of comfort. In some cases, this is straightforward such as believing that the spirit of a departed loved one is nearby and looking after you, but it can also be somewhat more convoluted. The cases that Phenicane cites of ghosts in the 16th through 18th century didn't just serve as evidence that those who agreed with you were wrong and likely damned. They also implied that you needn't fear your death or the death of those you love, as you would all be reunited in heaven. One other function that ghost stories often serve is that of explaining what folklorist David Hufford calls core experiences. Now this one is a bit complicated and is a matter that I will touch on in later episodes because this isn't a simple case of the ghost story serving the function of explaining the experiences, but also the experiences themselves reinforcing the supernatural belief. The phenomenon described by Hufford is sleep paralysis. When one experiences sleep paralysis, one's brain wakes up, at least partially, but your body is paralyzed, and it is common to still experience elements of dreams despite being aware of your surroundings, which tend to present as frightening hallucinations. If you don't understand enough about how the human body functions when you go into or come out of sleep, then stories of ghosts and demons can be, and cross-culturally are, employed to explain episodes of sleep paralysis. However. Sleep paralysis episodes serve also to further reinforce the belief in ghosts and demons. Now, I'm not going to go much more into the functional ghost story at this time, as it is something that I will come to again and again, not only in the standard ghost topology episodes, but also in future entries into this intermittent series on the themes of the podcast. Speaking of future episodes, the next episode will be more of the usual ghost content. While I do plan future episodes that continue the discussion begun here, most episodes will remain either analysis of individual ghost stories or discussions with other people who share my interest in the subject. If you liked this episode, then look forward to more summary and discussion of the themes that have emerged over the course of writing this podcast. If, on the other hand, you didn't enjoy it, well, these episodes will be labeled so that you can skip them. However, a big part of the reason why I started doing Ghostthropology was out of my own curiosity regarding what drives us to keep telling these stories, year after year, century after century. I suspect that anyone who has stuck with me for more than a few episodes shares that interest, so I hope that you will enjoy these occasional essay episodes as they come. Mm If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G H O S T H R O P O L O G Y at gmail. You can find more at kmmamedia.com. Click on the Ghostthropology link, and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky!